Hi, this is Eli Nelson, and this is the My City Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today. It is our prayer that this message will awaken you to come alive in the things of Christ. Enjoy the message. We thank you for sending your son, God, to pay the price for our sin. The cross that we should have bore, you bore. The grave that we should have been in, you took. God, so we thank you, and we come before you today as forgiven saints. Cleansed and washed clean, as your word says. Though your your sins are as scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. So, God, we thank you that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus this morning. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy that is upon your people this morning. Church, I have the privilege and the... Actually, I'm really excited to share with you this word today as we kind of gear up into Easter on this Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, that is is the day where Jesus actually walked into Jerusalem uh, many of you have seen he was on a colt, and they were laying down these palm branches, and they were yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, blessed are you, son of David. Basically, they're calling him the Messiah, and they're putting their hope and their trust in him. That's really what Palm Sunday is, but I'm going to go just in a little bit of that story of that week. This is known as Holy Week. It was also the week that Jesus was crucified, and I want to be able to share with you the significance of that, and I want to start by reading out of First Corinthians. I can't forgive me. I can't remember what chapter it was. It was one sixteen or something like that. I can't remember what chapter. One eighteen. There we go. All right. So this is the passage that we'll have today, that we'll be basing our whole message off of. And it says, "For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The message of the cross." The message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the power of God. And I want to be able to help share that truth. I'm not bringing to you anything new. For some of us, it might be new. My goal is not to add anything to this story. I don't want to do that. But really what I want to do is is help to bring a revelation of what it really means Jesus dying on the cross. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? And so I want you to be taking notes today. There's going to be a lot of great stuff to cover, a lot of great stuff that you can dive in later to read about. But I want you to write down this title today, The Cross and the Power of the Blood. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, help me to share with it just like you revealed it to me. Just like you revealed it to me yesterday, God, the power of your blood that is in us, living through us. God, we thank you for the covering of our sin. Right now, Holy Spirit, we pray that our ears would be open to you. God, and our eyes would be open that we would see you. Help us to hear you today, God. Not not just a fancy message or, or just some kind of in one ear and out the other, God. But let there be a true transformation that happens in our lives today. So help me get out of the way. You do what you do best, God. You're going to. I know you are. So here's your servants today, your sheep. I know you're speaking. Help them to hear you today. And right now, church, if you're hungry for the word of God and you believe that God has a word for you today, would you just open up your hands and say these words after me? Say it with your heart, not just with your mouth. Say these words. Say, Lord, 
Speak to me. I am listening. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for Jesus this morning. Amen. 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 It's going to be a great day today. Uh, I've often heard this said when the question is proposed, why did Jesus have to die? And I think that's a good question that all of us as believers should understand. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? And I've heard illustrations given, and I think uh, many of them don't do it justice on the real reason why Jesus had to die and how they've communicated it in the past. I'm not saying this is a right illustration. This is just more of an example of a wrong illustration that kind of doesn't really show the full truth and the power of the cross and the blood of Jesus. They say, well, Jesus died because let's say you, are, you, are a, you have a friend and your friend does something really bad to you. And you find out like, man, you really offended me. And your friend comes up to you and says, hey, I'm so sorry I offended you. And you say to them, hey, you know what? I forgive you. And to show my full forgiveness, I am going to now kill my dog. It doesn't sound right. Like, okay, so you want to forgive me, but in order to show that you want to forgive me, now you're going to kill your dog? That, that, so I, di- I did an offense to you, and that was wrong, yes. But now you're kind of doing something else that almost seems wrong in and of itself. And that's kind of, so when Jesus came, the Bible says that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. This isn't a great illustration as to why Jesus had to die on the cross. Why couldn't Jesus just forgive us? Why couldn't he just say, all right, I forgive you, and all is settled? Because get this today, and write this down. I'm not going to have it on screen, but you need to write this down. God also came to do something more than forgive. He came to enable you to overcome. Oh, I wish I had some Christians in here this house. So he did more than just come to, uh, to, to forgive you, but he came to help you overcome. We find this, and in, in actually 1 John 3, 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to what? Destroy the works, the devil's work. It was here to destroy the works of of the devil. What is the works of the devil? Now, all of us inherently, we want to see good in our lives. We want to see justice and mercy. We want to see grace bestowed to people. We want to see acts of love. We want to see all the good things in this world, but sometimes there's something else in us that also wrecks havoc in this world. It's all around us, and this thing is called evil. All you got to do with the, the word devil is just kind of take away the D, and then you get the evils the evil work. (laughs) So it's this evil atmosphere that has taken root. And that started in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve took the fruit. What they did is they basically turned their back to God and said, God, we're going to do things our way. And at, at that moment, sin entered the world. The Bible says that then they hid themselves because they found out that they were naked and they were ashamed. And then we find Jesus, or God at least, Killing an animal, most likely a lamb, to cover up their shame. It was more than just something to cover up their nakedness, but it was actually symbolic of what was to come, to cover their shame. See, God is a good father. He absolutely is. And the moment that sin separated his children from him, he put a declaration in the air. And he was talking to the devil. And we find this in Genesis 3, 15. He's talking to the devil and he says, I will put enmity between you 
and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So this is in the first three chapters of the Bible. We now have a prophetic picture of what's going to happen in the life of Jesus. He says that he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. The only way I know how to bruise a heel and crush a head at the same time is by curb stomping. That's the only way I know. So basically, the, God is saying that he's about to put his head, his foot on the devil's head. This is, just, this is a foreshadowing of what was to come. Now, we find this thing, evil starts to run rampant. And evil starts to ruin everything. Evil ruins everything with two different effects. It, there's a direct effect. So an example would be if I stole your wallet. Anyone have a wallet I can borrow? I'm literally saying I'm going to steal your wallet. Oh, I take your phone. Perfect. All right. You don't get your phone the rest of the service. Hopefully it don't ring, right? So I just stole it from someone. I just stole his phone. And for some of you, are all like, ah, oh, no, not my phone. I stole his phone. But also, now I just ruined the, re- the environment of the relationship. See, there's a direct effect, but there's also an indirect effect of evil. There's a direct effect. I took something from you. I wounded you. I hurt you. But I also wounded the relationship. There's like an atmospherical type effect to our relationship that I can't just give the phone back and be like, hey, we're all right. Yeah, yeah, you know, here your phone is. Now he knew I was going to take it, right? But I could, if I just took it without him knowing, I would have wounded the relationship. That's the indirect effect of evil. Many think, well, God is good. Couldn't he just get rid of all the evil in the world? Yes, but there is a problem. The evil that is out there that we see is actually the same evil that is inside of me and you. And we all contribute to it. So this puts us in a bit of a bind. Because if God is going to get rid of evil, then he's got to get rid of us. And that's what's so cool about the Bible is that we see how God is going to use this for his glory. And he's going to use this for his good. And I believe that there's a word in this passage for you today. That isn't just one that you'll hear on a Sunday, but one that you'll apply to your life. And that's the message of the cross and the power of the blood. I want you to leave here today knowing why Jesus had to die on the cross. See, we find this, this early in the Bible, we find this institution known as animal sacrifice. And it's a powerful symbol, really, of God's justice, but also of his grace. Now, remember, we are contributors to evil in and of itself and should be removed. But God is allowing that these animals, what it is, is they would have these animals, they'd lay them on the altar. And the thing that was supposed to be on us, now they place on the animal. And it is known as this word, it's this one word, it's called atonement. Atonement. If you're writing down notes today, write this word down. Atonement. Basically, it's a substitute. It's the covering of someone's debt. So this animal was sacrificed to pay the price that we were supposed to pay. We read of this, this, this idea of Jesus being the ultimate atonement through several different verses. I'm not going to have time to throw them up on the screen, but I'm just going to read through them. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is this saying? That we're all evil to some extent. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. 
God presented Christ as a sacrificial atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Received by faith, not by works, but by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. 1 John 2.2 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the, here's that word, atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And then it goes on, 1 John 4, 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his sin as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So we have this word atonement. It's the covering of someone's debt. But there's a second problem. Remember? Not just the forgiveness, not just the returning Right? But there's that, that atmospheric damage that happens, that vandalism that has happened to the relationship. Because that's what evil does. There's a relational vandalism that we see in the Old Testament, and it was referred to as polluting the land. There was a polluting of the land that would happen. So this is what the priests would do. It was they would take the blood of this lamb, and the Bible says that they would sprinkle it, all over the temple, which was actually symbols of things that were happening in heaven. It would go, and he would sprinkle it. And what this was, it was symbolically washing away the sins of the people by the sprinkling of the blood of the animal on the parts of the temple. It is a symbol of cleansing the land. Now we find in Exodus 17, 14 that life is in the blood. And you need to write this down today because life is in the blood. We're talking about the cross and the power of the blood. Leviticus says the life is in the blood. And so what this priest was doing is he was going around shooting life in an effort to purify the land. It's a process called purification. And what it does is it made things right between Israel, the people of God, and God. So that they could walk with God. But we found that this never solve the problem in their propensity for evil. We read in Isaiah 1, Isaiah 1 talks all about, so write that down because you can review it later. Isaiah 1 talks about how God is now detested with their sacrifices. He's saying you're doing all of these things, trying to be holy, but you're neglecting some of the weightier matters, that you're not caring for the hopeless, you're not caring for the destitute, you're not caring for the starving, you're not caring for the widow. Who cares about all these sacrifices when you're not even actually doing the things I've called you to do? You're polluting the land. So then we have Jesus, this Palm Sunday. Jesus comes in riding on a colt. We see this throughout the Gospels. He's riding in on a horse, and they're laying down these branches and I want to share with you just something real quick that, that is found in the, in the book of John. I'm going to see if I, I have it here. I was going through so many different things, but I don't think I have it here. I think I might have deleted it. No, I have it right here. Okay, it's John chapter 12, verse 14. It says, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey. So it's like he's talking about the king, Jesus, being the king coming to serve, to, to be on a donkey. But Jesus also references himself that it was a king to be a servant. 
So there's a king coming on a donkey, but he's also coming not to rule, but to serve. And Mark 10, 45 says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That ransom refers to sacrificial atonement. So now we see Jesus dying on a cross. Now he dies on a cross to cover our sins. The Bible says that the punishment in Isaiah 53 that brings us peace is upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So the punishment, the beating on the cross was to cover our sins. But this is just a part of it, though. Because his blood also symbolizes the washing away of the land, the purification of the land. And so write this down. Him dying on the cross covers our sin. Him dying on the cross covers our sin. And his blood cleanses us. So we see just as that sacrificial atonement, the sprinkling of the blood, right? That cleansed the land. So his blood cleanses us. So this analogy that I gave at the beginning isn't really a fair analogy of two people wronging each other. Me taking Matt's cell phone. Why? Because it's, it's two people that are peers. It's human interacting with another human and, and it's just a matter of material possessions. But it's not the same between us and God. You see, because what we see is that forgiveness alone is not what Jesus came to provide for us. Because forgiveness does not necessarily mean restoration. Because I can wrong someone. And Matt can choose to forgive me for stealing his phone. Right? But that doesn't mean he has to trust me again. Just because he says, I forgive you, doesn't mean that there's a restoration of relationship or a restoration of favor. Something happened. I vandalized the relationship. And so there's a separation that'll happen, but that's not what God wants with us. He wants to, yes, forgive us of our sins, but he also wants to bring restoration to the relationship. That's the power of the blood that we're going to find out. God wants to be fully restored to our relationship and level of intimacy with him. But in order for us to enjoy that level of relationship, we have first got to be capable of giving it and receiving it. And that is ultimately contingent upon our moral goodness, right? So if the goal is for us to live in perfect harmony with God, who is goodness itself and us who are the embodiment of evil. That's hard for some of us to hear today, but ultimately there's nothing good in us. There's nothing good. There's nothing good. There's sparks and glimpses because he's put the word and written upon our hearts. So we know what evil is and we know what good is. Explain that to random chance. You can't. We know what good is. We know what evil is. So it's on the inside of us. So in order to live perfect harmony with God, who is goodness itself, then we must become fully good ourselves. But if we continue into our evil way of doing things, then what we find is heaven is what we look forward to one day. We'll actually have nothing different than here on earth. Because the paradise of heaven is contingent upon the nature of its citizens. And if we go to heaven and we don't ever figure out what's going on in here, 
we're going to ruin heaven just like we ruined here on earth. And God's not going to allow that. That's why he brought Adam and Eve out of the garden because he didn't want them to live forever in that state. He said, this has just got to be temporary because we got to fix this because I can't let them living far from me for eternity. So we see the forgiveness of our sins is good, but that's not all. See, God also has to make sure that we are transformed into his image. So how does he transform us? Write this down today. He gives us of himself. He gives us of himself. He didn't do it for us to be right and tell us to figure it all out. Hey, I forgave you. Now you get another shot. Well, hey, I'm going to keep forgiving you, keep forgiving, keep forgiving you. We would never figure it out. He says they're not going to figure it out. Gabriel, what do we do? Michael, the angels in heaven, what do we do? They're not going to figure this out by themselves. You know what? I'm going to go down there and give them of myself so that they can live through me. He infuses his goodness into us. The Bible says he gave him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. And so what this does is give us, it gives us the ability to live as we should, to love people and to love God. So we see that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, not only for the covering of our sin, but the transformation of our lives. Because the Bible says that they overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb. They overcame the devil by that, by that blood. It, it wasn't the forgiving, but the blood is actually the overcoming. What is it? The blood actually represents and symbolizes life. And so when Jesus hung on the cross, he died. His body was broken, but his blood poured out to cleanse us, to give us life. This is the power of the blood is that you don't have to think about how you're going to be good for God. It's how can I let Jesus live through me? And this is why communion is so powerful. This is the message of communion. There's two things that Christians are called to, they call it like um, uh, sacraments. Thank you. My beloved wife knew where I was going. Look at that. It's, there's two things, two sacraments that Christians are to adhere to. That's communion and baptism. Communion and baptism. Communion, that's eating of the, the bread and, and the drinking of the wine. He says, this is my body that was broken for you, and this is my blood that cleanses you. So it's two-part. It's not just the forgiveness of your sins, but it's also the cleansing and empowerment to help you get up out of that grave. There's a cleansing that happens. So his body was broken, so ours wouldn't have to be. Why? Because God is just, and he has to punish evil. How wrong would it be if there was an individual right here, and he murdered 25 people, he killed some of them in the most gruesome way, some of them your family members, some of them he ate, some of them he did horrible things to, and he says, hey, I'm sorry, I, I, I want to change now. How bad would it be for a judge, hearing that man apologize, to be like, oh, you're sorry? Oh, that's okay. That's completely wrong. A person should suffer the punishment for their choices. 
That's what's right. We know that. We know on our hearts. Yeah, okay, you're sorry. No, 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 no. No, no, no. You got to like make it right. That's, that, you know, that's how we think. And that's because that's how God is. And so God's like, what we've done as humanity is, is so wrong. According to a perfect God, he's got to bring some kind of justice. And that's where we see Jesus taking the punishment for our sins on the cross. But then we see there's also another thing. God is coming to establish his kingdom and to reverse the works of the devil. He's coming to get rid of evil. And how he does that is through his blood. That's how we overcome, by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony. It's the blood of the lamb. So his blood cleanses and enables us to be seen like Jesus. And the curse of sin now has no hold on you. We see because the Bible says who the son sets free is what? Is free indeed. Are you seeing it? It's more than just him forgiving of your sin. It's him giving his life, his blood, so that you can have new life. That it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. So we see in 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. We see in Hebrews 9, 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanses our conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. So the blood cleanses us and enables us to serve the living God. So that's why Jesus had to die. And this is the power of God because it enables us not only to be forgiven by God, but to be restored to God, continually restored and to live righteously. So it talks about, let's keep that verse up there, Hebrews, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God. This unblemished is a sacrificial term. And just like in the Old Testament, we first get this in, 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 in Exodus chapter 12, where the Passover, God is about to set his people free from Egypt, from bondage in Egypt. And what he says is he finds, finds a perfect lamb, unblemished, kill it, and spread the blood over the doorpost. And so that when the spirit comes, the angel of death comes over the land, he'll see the blood and he will pass over you. And that's why they call it the Passover. That's the Passover feast. That's what Jesus was coming to Jerusalem to celebrate. That's what's happening this Friday is the Passover. Easter doesn't just happen on a random day. It actually follows the calendar, the Jewish calendar, which is the first month of the year. Jesus and, and God told Moses in Egypt, he said, this is the first month of the year for you. And on the 10th day, I want you to select for yourself a perfect lamb. So now he's like rewriting their calendar. So now the, their month doesn't follow our month, like our 12-month calendar. It follows a different type of month. So their month, their year begins 14 days before, Easter, before Passover. And so on the 10th day, they chose the lamb. Four days before Passover. Today is the first year of the Jewish calendar, and it's the 10th day. It's Palm Sunday. What day did Jesus ride in to Jerusalem? It was on Palm Sunday. He said, your king's coming. That perfect Passover lamb was coming on Sunday. Today, they chose 
Hosanna, King of David, Hosanna, glory to God. They chose their Messiah. They chose, which they didn't know what it was about until later, John says, that we didn't realize these things until in hindsight that these things had to happen. Jesus was selected on a Sunday. And then we go through, well, something's not really adding up. Well, the Jewish calendar, the day begins at nighttime, so when the sun sets. So like when it hits tonight around 8 p.m., it'll be Monday to the Jewish calendar. So now we fast forward to Thursday night, the night when Jesus was betrayed. That was the beginning of Passover Sunday, or Passover Friday, the beginning of the Passover. Jesus had his meal a day early because he wanted to have one last meal with his disciples before he was betrayed and ultimately crucified. So we find on Thursday night, late, probably around midnight, he was betrayed, and he was sent to the high priest. Around 7 a.m., he was brought before Pilate, then he was brought before Herod, then he was brought before Pilate again, where he was sentenced to be crucified. Then he was, within nine hours, he was hung on a cross. So he was hung on a cross at 9 a.m. on Friday morning. Some people give the disciples a hard time. Maybe they were sleeping. They thought he was arrested, only to wake up and find him on a cross. We don't know. But there was something else significantly happening that day, on that Friday. Just as symbolic as Exodus was about sacrificing the Passover lamb so they could be set free from bondage, the lambs were being sacrificed at the temple during the same time that the lamb was hanging on a cross. So around 9 a.m., Jesus was on the cross for roughly six hours. Do you know what time they began the sacrificial Passover? They started at 3 p.m. The Bible says that Jesus died right around 3 p.m. I can't think that's just, just coincidence. I think God is saying, hey, from the very beginning, this was the plan. God is saying, so while Jesus is hanging on the cross, some people say there was over 200,000 sheep that were being sacrificed that day. So while Jesus is hanging on the cross, I can't help but he's hearing the bleeding of sheep. All of them yelling, bye, red throughout the, but he knows that he is the ultimate sacrificial lamb. That all of those were just a foreshadowing of what was to come. So then we see Jesus dying on the cross. And his blood being poured out. The Bible says that they, they stab him with the spear to make sure he's dead. And the Bible says that blood and water pours out. So he's sacrificed. Now blood and water pour out over the land. It doesn't ever get covered up. But it's poured out to cleanse the land. It's symbolic of that blood that cleanses me and you today. That you don't have to worry about what you've done. You don't have to worry about what you might do. Because his blood is good to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So now I want to give you our closing verse today in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. So looking at every single human being, this is how Paul's talking. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We're not just looking at them as a human being. We're looking at them as a potential child of God, a separated child of God. Not just from a worldly point of view, he says. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. What's he referring to when he once regarded Christ this way? Well, Isaiah 53 says, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. That's what he's saying. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The old way, that separation, that sin that separated you has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. But get this, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So there's something that we have been entrusted with, not just for ourselves, but for every single person that is still far from God. There's a lot of them. So he's entrusted us with this. So we'll go to the next verse. It says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Now he's saying, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And I'm here today to implore you today, if you are not reconciled with God, be reconciled with God. We do it usually as a beginning step. We say there's a prayer that we pray. It's not the words of this mouth, but it's a condition of heart that says, God, we need you. Be reconciled to God. Now, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the cross and the power of the blood so that we might become the righteousness of God. Would you stand to your feet? Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was punished by God for us. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. So on the cross... God looked at Jesus, Jesus standing in the gap for you. He looked at Jesus and he saw you. Now this is the power of the blood is now when God looks at you, he actually sees Jesus and he's but a prayer away. So if you're in this place and you're saying, Pastor Eli, you've been talking to me and I've been far from God. Either I've never given my life over to him, I've been running from him. Today's your day to come home. And I want to give you the opportunity to lead you in this prayer that I prayed a while ago that really was just saying, God, I'm done trying to do it myself. I need you. It's as simple as that. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand because I don't want to know who I'm praying with today. And I'm going to have the entire church pray along as a sign of support to every single person that raises their hand. But if you're in this place and you're saying, Pastor Eli, that's me. 
I want to accept this message of reconciliation. Just as Paul said, I implore you to accept the message of reconciliation because without Jesus, you're far from God. So if you're in this place and you're saying, that's me, would you lift up your hand on the count of three? One, two, three. Shoot up your hand. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If this message encouraged you, help us get the word out. Consider sharing it with a friend, rating, or subscribing. If you want to know more about our church, check out our website at mycitychurch.cc or our Instagram at mycitycentral. We look forward to sharing another encouraging word with you next week. God bless.